Luke. Luke 17, verse 11, it says this. Now it happened, as he, being Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men. Somebody say ten men. There were ten, not nine. Come on, Baltimore County. Not 12, not 13. There were 10. And you got to understand every number in the Bible is significant. If God wanted 11, there would have been 11. So 10 men who were leprous, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. But pause there for a second, and I started touching this at Catalyst, and the Holy Spirit said, hey, I need you to finish that this Sunday. This isn't a message, but here's what I've discovered. Some miracles from God are instantaneous. Some miracles from God, you pray, you ask him, and he does it in a moment. He removes that depression or that anxiety. He heals your body. The phone rings, and it's a job on the other side. Sometimes he'll just spit in some mud, slap it on your eyes, and you can see. But some miracles from God are as-you-go miracles. Some miracles, I'm going to lay hands on you and you'll be free right there. Some moments, you'll walk out of church and the depression will still be there. You'll walk out of church and the anxiety, oh, come on, don't look at me like that. You ever walked out of church and you still weren't full of the joy that they promised you that you would get in there? Here's what I've discovered, that as I go to my word every single day, as I go into his presence every single day, as I, I show back up to church the next Sunday, even though I'm not really feeling about it, and I, I get in connect group, what I realize is I have more joy today than I had yesterday. I have no vision today than I had yet. Some miracles happen as you go. Here's the problem with those as you go miracles. Some of them, you don't even remember when it happened. I can't remember the last time I had a migraine. I can't remember the last time I was overwhelmed with anxiety or had a panic attack or depression or whatever. And I don't know, BWI, why God does some things as you go and some things unspontaneous. Just boom. I, by the way, like the instantaneous. I, uh, the 21 days, person that ain't my flow. <laughs> Can I give you a guess? While the spontaneous and instantaneous is great and it builds faith, I think that as you go helps other people as much as it helps you. How did you find your joy? I don't know. I just woke up one morning and I was joyful. God bless you. Come on, that ain't helping me none. How'd you find your joy? I kept pursuing God in the middle of despair. I kept showing up, kept taking his word, kept speaking hope over my life. And you know what? I don't quite know when it happened. I just know that this joy that I have right now, it's not based on a relationship or money or a job. And I know that it is of God. Can I, can I preach a little bit more, Nicole? Union Church is amazing church. It's a growing church. There's thousands of people that are a part of this church across three different locations. But it didn't grow quickly. This is, this is literally, this is my 10th year of being a senior pastor. This is an overnight success, 10 years in the making. And in the beginning, when we went from 50 to 70, and from 70 to 150, and I'm like, really, God? Like, we're supposed to be 1,000 after one day, revival, breakthrough. I'm grateful now because I know how to pursue him when it's not going as fast as I want it to. I, I, I know when I can't see the next step, how to keep stepping anyway and trusting that he's going to open the door at the right moment. I'm, I'm taking too long here. I'm grateful for the instantaneous miracles, but I've learned to become grateful for the on your way miracles because I think I actually learn more on my way. It's not the message though. Anyway, Go show yourself to the priest. So it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, somebody say one. When he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, where there are not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? 
Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, this outsider, this person who's not one of us? He said to him, arise, go your way, your faith. Somebody say, my faith. Come on, BWI. Somebody say, my faith. My faith. Your faith has made you well. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful that you are a miracle working God. Sometimes it's spontaneous, sometimes it's instantly, and sometimes it's on our way. But regardless of how you do it, you never fail. God, our heart breaks right now, God, for the families of those servicemen and servicewomen who lost their life. God, I pray right now that you bring hope, that you bring comfort. God, that you would let them know that the sacrifice of their family was not in vain. God, we pray over our family, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are in the eye of that storm, Ida, heading towards Louisiana right now. You plenty of times have spoken to storms and seen them move. God, we speak to that storm in the name of Jesus. We say be broken up, be removed, that you would cover, God, the people of Louisiana right now. God, we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. We're concluding a series today called Do Not Disturb. Somebody say, Do Not Disturb. We've been talking over the last four weeks of how vital, how important prayer is in our lives. And many people don't realize this, but God cannot do anything in your life without your permission. Somebody say, Prove it. In Genesis, He said, I give you dominion. Take authority and multiply and subdue. God has given you dominion over your life. And while he wants to move in your life, he needs your invitation, your access to actually do what he says he wants to do. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Listen to this phrase. He said, then I will hear from heaven. In other words, heaven is screaming the blessings of God over your life. But it's not until we say what Mary said, let it be unto me according to your word that it can come to pass in our life. If you haven't prayed about it, you shouldn't expect it in your life. But as you're seeking God according to his word, it is guaranteed if he promised it, he will Bring it to pass. Amen. I uh, started this message at Catalyst, and the Holy Spirit just had a completely different idea, and I never got to finish it, and I never kind of double dip, but I woke up and the Holy Spirit was like, I need you to finish that because there's something in the message that people want to hear, so this is going to be Catalyst Part 2, if you don't mind, if you didn't get a ticket or whatever it may be, you up in Catalyst right now. I, I, I grew up with a mother that was an amazing cook. My mama, my mama, y'all could throw down. She was Caribbean too, from Barbados, so it wasn't, come on now, shout out to the Caribbean. So, you, by the way, you, you, you know, uh, uh, if someone, no offense if you're American, I know most of the church is American, God bless you, we love you people too, but... Uh, <laughs> You can tell if someone's Caribbean or not, because if you're not, you, you say stuff like spicy. The food is spicy. It's, it's spicy. What, what is spicy? Like, spice is cinnamon and nutmeg. That's, it's not spice. It's called peppery or it's hot. It's either peppery or it's hot. It's not, stop saying that. You sound weird. Food is not spicy. I mean, she would, she would cook everything. She, I mean, beef stew and rice and curry chicken. And I didn't really like oxtail, but they throw down with the oxtail. And we ain't Jamaican, but we'd make jerk chicken too and beef patties. And, and then she went a little international, so we get spaghetti and meatball and lasagna and, and chicken alfredo. And I mean, she, she would throw, and I don't know, I think she loved cooking. She smiled when she served it, so... Hopefully she loved it. She could have been grumbling, these ungrateful kids, no matter how much I cook, they eat the next day. And we just, we weren't a fish sticks and french fry family. If that's how you grew up, God bless you. God can redeem your past. But that just wasn't <laughs> all shade. <laughs> Let me say, I actually, I actually like fish sticks and french fries. What are, what are you trying to say? My mom was an amazing cook. And she never missed unless she did. Most of the times, 
I like to talk about it because she ain't here right now. She can't smack me. Most of the times, it was amazing. But ever so often, it was like, Mama, you okay? Are you tired? <laughs> Did you need a day off? Because... <laughs> and the one thing she would miss at without fail was her meatloaf. Mama's meatloaf. Listen, if you need beef stew and rice, come over. If you like rice and peas, curry chicken, if you want meatloaf, Mama's meatloaf. It wasn't the meatloaf that My grandma makes meatloaf. My grandma, she'll put a, a, a layer of ground beef, then she'll get extra thick bacon and a layer of bacon, then ground beef, then bacon, then ground beef, then bacon, and drizzle. It's like a meatloaf lasagna. It will bring you to the presence of the Lord. I don't know if my grandma, my grandma's at the Baltimore County location. Grandma, you got to let us know what's up. I don't know if you stole the recipe, you didn't share the recipe, but mama didn't get the recipe. And every time I see that little cake pan come out and her stuffing a hamburger in there, I was just like, oh, it's going to be a long night. I grew up, we had, we had four siblings. There was five of us, and we'd sit down, and, and you know, you ask dumb questions like, what's for dinner? <laughs> meatloaf. And she'd always, like, you know, if you want to make meatloaf, like, make seven cheese macaroni to go with it, and, 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 and let's get some green beans with bacon in it or something, like, at least dress it. No, no, we got meatloaf, we got lima beans. I mean, it was the worst combination ever. I'd look at my brother, he'd look at me, and my sister would look at me, and there was always one dumb one that would say, I don't like meatloaf. And you know, there's certain moments when, when you grow up in a Christian family, there's certain moments when you realize your parents know Jesus. I, I learned that my dad knew Jesus the day that I slammed a door and he didn't throw a chair at my head. I was like, oh, that man's filled with the Spirit of God. I learned that my mom knew Jesus when we talked about our cooking. Mama, I, I, don't, I don't like meatloaf, it's dry. And she would just smile. She said, that's okay, baby. That just means you're not hungry. <laughs> Anybody grew up with a mama like that? And she said, and whenever you're hungry, it'll be there waiting. <laughs> I can't remember which sibling it was. I had one sibling who actually tested her on this. So they went on a hunger strike. They didn't eat dinner that night. They're like, I don't like it. I'm not eating it. She put saran wrap on that plate, stuck it in the fridge. The next day, cooked a meal for everybody else. Heated the meatloaf up. So here you go. It was waiting on you. In this passage that we read, there were 10 lepers. Somebody said, finally, the Bible, calm down. There were 10 lepers that heard that Jesus was coming by. Today, leprosy still exists, but there's a cure for it. Back then, there was no cure for leprosy. Leprosy was one of the most debilitating and outcasting diseases of the time. It, it attacks your nervous system, and there's boils that break out all over your body, and you literally decompose while you're alive. It was outrageously contagious. So as soon as you contracted leprosy, you were cast outside of the city, and they had these little shanty towns where leprous communities would gather together. I've discovered that people group, not just in connect groups, but in pain groups. There's some way that we have a way of finding people that have experienced similar pain to what we've been through. There's all these groups outside of the city, and they heard that Jesus was coming by, and they had heard the stories, BWI, of how he had healed and delivered and cast out devils and, and raised the dead. And I could just imagine they were just thinking, if we could just get his attention. Our situation could change. Jesus walks through Samaria and Galilee and he walks past where they are and they shout out. They said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They stood afar away because they knew that they weren't allowed to come close to Jesus. They weren't allowed to be close to anybody. Could you imagine being separated from your family for years? Could you imagine knowing that I'm dying, but it's slow, and there's nothing I can do about it? Just sitting there waiting for your fate, and you see hope in flesh walking by. They said, Jesus, have mercy on me. 
Jesus didn't wave his hand over him. He didn't lay hands on him. The Bible doesn't even say that he took one step towards him. Here's what he said. He said, go show yourself to the priest. And it says, as they went at that time, in order to be re-entered into the community, if some way you were miraculously healed or you got over that disease before you can go to your family, it was the priest's job. By the way, it was really jacked up to be a pastor back then. I'm so glad that I didn't go to, what if they didn't get over it? I'm just, they had to go show themselves to the priest and the priest approved your re-entry into the community. So Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. You got to understand the faith that it took because they were walking into a city that they were not allowed to be in, trying to prove that something had taken place, but they had no evidence that it had taken place. There is no miracle from God without steps of faith. And I've discovered that I have to have enough faith to step, even though I don't see the promise of God. That I may not yet see his promise, but I'm going to stay faithful. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I've been praying for this for so long or believing for this for long or pushing for this for so long. What should I do? Keep stepping. Keep moving forward. Keep obeying God and you will see his miracle come to pass on your way. Well, I don't know at what point they realized they were healed. The Bible tells us that the Samaritan saw and he, I don't even think he showed himself to the priest. And he comes back and he throws himself on the ground and he said, Jesus of mercy, thank you. I didn't deserve this. Jesus did not say thank you for coming back. Jesus didn't say you're welcome. Jesus didn't even say, wow, look, at, he said, where's the others? He wasn't surprised by the thank you. He was surprised by the lack of gratitude. He was surprised that once they got what they wanted, they went on their way. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Bless. Somebody say bless. bless. Say bless him. Bless. Bless. You ever notice you don't got to actually, actually speak words on the The Bible says, blessed are those who just ate a full meal. Huh? Blessed are those who are on your water challenge. You walk around that really annoying mug all day long. You people are weird. It said, blessed are those who are hungry hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I, 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 I said this at another service and they got concerned, so you may get concerned as well. I'm preaching a message today that I haven't figured out yet. You're supposed to be the pastor. If you don't know, why are you preaching it? Can we figure it out together? Is that Okay. I know how to pursue God when I'm desperate. I know how to be hungry for God when I'm broken. I know how to go after God in some dark moments and seasons of my life. And I've been blessed and covered by God, but I have had some dark moments. I've had some moments where I'm not quite sure what tomorrow is going to look like. I'm, I'm not quite sure if I even want to be in the tomorrow that I'm seeing in front of me. One of those moments was when my mom passed away. Any of you that have lost a loved one, you know when you lose, a, it's like getting punched in the stomach. And it's like you lose vision for tomorrow because everything you dreamed about tomorrow included that person. And now that that person's not there anymore, you, you, I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I remember in those moments, and I'm so grateful my dad was a pastor. I had a key to the church. And you heard me say this before. I'd break into the church on Friday. There was no catalyst. It was just me on my keyboard. I'm playing and I'm weeping and I'm crying and, and I remember in those moments just a piece of God. Anybody remember when God met you at your brokenness? When God met you when you had nowhere else to turn? When you picked up your phone and there was nobody that would understand in your entire context? Anybody remember when you thought that you were too disgusting to love and you reached out to God and his grace and his mercy swept in? I know how to pursue God when I'm broken. Here's my problem. How do I stay desperate when I'm blessed? 
How do I stay hungry for God when there's not pain that's driving me into his presence? How do I continue to pray when I've ran out of problems? Like, I'm not sick. I can pay my bills. My relationships are blessed. My, my career is thriving. You know what happened to those nine lepers? They were healed. And the moment their prayer was answered, they lost their pursuit. Here's my whole question, Union Church. It's day 22 of 21 days of pursuing God. How are you going to act? How are you going to act when he answers your prayer? How are you going to act when he blesses you? How are you going to act when he heals your body, heals your marriage, and explodes your business? How are you going to act when you're blessed? Because I've discovered that I don't want God to have to remove his favor from me to keep me desperate for him. I don't want to become so overwhelmed by his blessings that I forget about the blesser. There's a story of a pastor that was pastoring in a rural area, a farm town, and everybody in the church was farmers. And one day after the service, he saw one of the farmers didn't go home. He was at the altar, and he was just weeping his eyes out. And the pastor went up to him, and he said, what's wrong? The farmer said, I, I, I don't know what happened this year. Our crops, they just did not come in. And we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. We can't make ends meet. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to provide for my family. The pastor said, well, there's good news. God's not just a healer. He's not just a deliverer. He's a provider. He is the Lord of the harvest. And I believe that as we pray, that God is going to turn your lack into abundance. And he prayed over that man. And the man said, thank you, Pastor. And he, and he left and he, he went home. And a week goes by, two weeks goes by, four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. The pastor noticed he hadn't seen that particular farmer in a long time. He was walking through town one day, and he sees the farm, and he walks up to him and says, hey, are you okay? What happened with the farm? I haven't seen you at church in a while. The farmer said, Pastor, you will not believe it. Your prayer worked. Like the moment you praise, our harvest tripled. We have, sorry about not making it to church, work has become so much. There's just too much of a harvest to gather. I'll make it to church after this harvest is taken care of. And you may have noticed that I don't tithe anymore, and I'm sorry about that. I, I've just never had this much income. And by the way, what are you people doing with the money at that church anyway? The pastor smiled. He put his hands. He said, let's pray. He said, Father, I pray that you would decrease this farmer's harvest to a level small enough that he can go back to pursuing you and putting you... How many of us, our pursuit of God looks one way when we're broken and lacking? And it's completely different when we're whole and in abundance. And here's the thing about being a pastor. You're supposed to love everybody. And everybody expects you to be nice and kind and sweet. And you're not allowed to be shady and all ignorant and all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying, I know how to play that game. And I play that game. Good to see you. I'm running your Walmart. How's it going? Ain't seen you in three months. Ever since you got that boyfriend you were praying for. Oh, I remember when you were on three dream teams. I remember when you were in four connect groups. You had four different computers open to get your Catalyst ticket because you were not about to miss out on the front row. Where you been at? Well, Pastor, you know, I got brunch on Sundays. And I watch online. And I'm a smile and say, God bless you, because we're not a church that chases you down or pursues you. You're going to go after God. Y'all looking at me like, I don't know if I like this guy. Well, guess what? I don't know if I like you either, so we even. I need some sleep. I need some sleep. Calm down, calm down, calm down. And I told you, I haven't figured this out yet. We're in this together. How do I stay desperate when he's blessed me? 
Because the last thing I want is to have God asking, where's he? Wasn't he supposed to come back and say thank you? So quick thought. We're going to land this plane. We got like three points. Boom, boom, boom. You ready? I want to know what was it about the Samaritan that kept him desperate after his miracle? What can we learn from his mindset and approach to God that I, because here's the deal. If you stay long enough, he will bless you. You, you, you can't hang around Jesus and not have miracles break out in every single area of your life. So you may not be on your A game right now. You may be broken. You may need healing. You may need deliverance. You may need hope. But just hear me. It will happen. So here's what I want to do. I want us to plan for success not just for failure. I want us to plan for overflow. I want us to plan Baltimore for abundance. What happens when God answers his word? The first thought is this. Entitlement never produces desperation. Entitlement never produces desperation. Jesus pulled out the fact that the one that returned was a Samaritan, which means that the other nine were not. They were Jews. And there was something about this Samaritan that kept him grateful. You see, in the Jewish culture, it is part of their law to take care of the widow and the orphan and those that are in need. Matter of fact, God commanded them, when you are bringing in the harvest of your field, do not bring in the entire harvest. They were required to leave one-third of their harvest out in the field. A tenth went to the church, a tenth went to the priest, and a tenth was left for the widow and the orphan and the hungry to be able to pick. That's where, remember Ruth, when she was picking in Boaz's field, that's why she was allowed to be there. It was the law to leave it for the widow. It was their culture to take care of those who were in need. So I feel like those nine Jewish lepers... They said, if Jesus just comes around, he has to heal us. He's a Jew. He was raised by the same laws as us. He knows our custom. We are in need. He has to bless us. So I think when Jesus walked by and those nine lepers, hey, Jesus, son of David, if we could just get his attention, he has to do something about it. But you see, being a Samaritan was different from being a Jew. The Samaritans at that time, they were considered to be subhuman. I don't mean offensive, but we get all bent out of shape of racism in 2021. Racism ain't new, y'all. The world's been racist since sin entered the world, which was day one. Because wherever there's sin, there's going to be superiority and racism and hatred and pride and all that other good stuff. And it was the same in that time. Jews looked down at Samaritans as subhumans. Why? Because the Samaritan people, they used to be Jews. They were the 10 tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes overall. There were 10 tribes that turned their back on God, said, I want nothing to do with God. God removed his hedge of protection. And the final time, the enemy came in and they said, we're going to destroy them once and for all. So they forced them to intermarry and to weave religions together. And in that moment, those 10 tribes of Israel became extinct. And they became Samaria, the Samaritans. That Samaritan knew a Jew's not going to look at me. Not going to touch me. Not even going to acknowledge my existence. Here's just how I see the Bible. I see nine lepers saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And I see that Samaritan who did not really expect Jesus to notice him. But he said, if I can just hang out with the people that Jesus cares about, maybe I can get an overflow miracle. So those nine, Jesus and that leper, that Samaritan, Jesus. I don't think he was as bold with his shout. Jesus, while you're healing them, can you heal me too? Jesus, while you're taking care of the ones that you care about, can you throw some crumbs to the dogs? So I think when he was walking and he saw himself healed, he was shocked. 
because he never expected that what Jesus had for others was also for him. Here's what I've discovered. I'm going to get in trouble. Don't take this too seriously. I've discovered you can be too saved. You can know too much Bible. And you can walk around, all oh, the promises of God are yes. Did I do it right? Yeah. And, and God is not man that he shall lie. No, the son of man. I don't know why I get all these voices. But we know that God makes promises. We know that he doesn't change his mind. We know that he is faithful. And somehow we get it confused into, and I deserve it. When somebody owes you money, you're not overjoyed when they pay you back. You're thinking, it's about time. And I wonder, I'm not talking about you. I'm just jump under the bus by myself. Y'all can come in if you want. I wonder how many miracles of my life God has performed that my thought was, it's about time. I I've been waiting for this. I've been, thanks for picking up your phone. Thanks for responding to my message. The second I become entitled, the second I feel like God owes me something is the second I lose my desperation. And by the way, let me just get off all under the bus at the same time. We all at some point have felt like God has owed us something because we all at some point has been disappointed with God. God, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? Why am I still waiting? Why this? Why this? Why that? And it's from a position of God you owe me. I want my heart to be the heart of the Samaritan, the heart of Paul. Here's what Paul said in verse Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He said, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world for jacked up people, for broken people, for sinners of whom I am chief. You ever seen Paul's resume? Heal the sick, raise the dead. Wrote one-third of the entire New Testament. Anybody who's not Jewish who believes in Jesus, you're a Christian because of Paul. He was the first to take the gospel to people who were not Jews. Paul could have been, ain't nobody as bad as me. But no, he said, I'm a bond servant. As you read his letters to different churches, he said, I am the chief of sinners. Paul never forgot where God rescued him from. And because he never forgot where God rescued him from, he never felt like he belonged or deserved where he was. And it wasn't from a place of guilt, but from a place of gratitude. If I thought through this message, I would have had a sermon illustration right here, but I don't. So we're going to use our imagination, right? Imagine I had one of those little buoys, those little floaties that they throw to you when you're drowning. Come on, Baltimore. And imagine I flung it to you in this moment. First of all, you'd have been like. Then you would have been like, listen, Pastor, I know you're in you your little white dress right now, and you're kind of feeling yourself right now, but, but don't be throwing nothing at me. Why, why are you throwing this float? Why? Because there's no water around right now. You're not in the ocean. You're not drowning. But let you be out in the water in the middle of a storm. Let you be so far out that you can't see the shore, and it doesn't matter how good a swimmer you are, you don't have the energy to swim back. You don't even know which direction to swim in. And let somebody throw you a life raft. I've discovered there's no gratitude for a savior if we don't think we need saving. I, I remember growing up, and, and, and I just want you to know this. I didn't just become ignorant. I came out the womb like this. I've, I've been like this my entire life. God's still working on me, but it's an on-the-way miracle. Anyway, I remember growing up in church, and when I grew up in church, they would sing the whole hymn, not like we do, just the chorus. They would sing all three verses. They would sing this song called Amazing Grace, and I couldn't stand that song. I remember at 12 years old having a conversation with my parents. That song is not for me. I said, Why? Because it says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, I'm not a wretch. I remember being a 12-year-old telling my parents, 
I'm not, I'm a nice person. I said, you want to meet a wretch? I could teach, I could show you a wretch. My sister, she, she's a wretch. I'm not a wretch. I am not making this up. My dad's at Baltimore County. You can ask him after church. So when we would sing Amazing Grace in church, I would stand up and I'd say, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves such a nice person. Like, I change wretch to nice person. I'm not a wretch. Now, you may not be as ignorant as me. You don't have the guts to change the song to a hymn because that's like changing the Bible. But a lot of us think that way. Cross wasn't for me. That was like if Hitler wants to get saved or Stalin or one of these evil people. Not for these rats. That I wasn't that bad. I mean, I never blacked out or anything. I mean, I got a little sloppy, but I mean, I was never just like. <laughs> Y'all don't know nothing about Columbia campus. Like that's the other location. That's a PG location. You bring it to my... <laughs> But can we just be real for a moment? A lot of us don't think we were that bad. Or we've caught amnesia and we can't remember. There's no gratitude. Leprosy was a horrible disease. It attacked a person's nervous system. Boils would break out all over their life, they, all over their bodies. They would literally decompose. But here's what leprosy did. It would kill your nerve endings. So after a period of time with leprosy, you could not feel anything. Could you imagine not being able to feel a kiss, a touch, a hug? No physical touch whatsoever. Matter of fact, most people died not from leprosy, but from self-inflicted wounds or injuries because when they got cut, they could not feel the pain and thus they never tended to the wounds. So they went from being numb to now having self-inflicted destruction. And then as the disease would go on, it would take their eyesight so that they could, how horrible is this? I can't feel, I'm destroying myself, and now I can't even see. Hear me, the Bible says that leprosy is a picture of sin. Leprosy is a picture of being separated from God. There's something about being separated from God. There's something about entertaining sin in our life that it makes us numb. You know, there's something worse than being in pain. And that's not being able to feel at all. If you've ever been struggling with sin, you know what I'm talking about. If you are struggling with sin, you may not realize it, but I'm going to help you out because you're getting yourself in a trap. Oftentimes when it comes to sin, whatever it may be, and we all think about the horrible ones that other people do, but what about the ones that we do, like gossip and lie and, and pride or whatever it may be? We always feel like we can control it. You know, I'm not ratchet. I'm not giving it up for anybody, but we love each other. I mean, I wouldn't lie on something that matters, but this is a white lie. When, who, when did lies come into Greece? White, gray, off-white, <laughs> slate. <laughs> Sin, like leprosy, makes us numb. And in order to continue to feel, we have to escalate. If you've seen it in somebody else's life or you've seen it in your life, it, all, it always escalates. You always shock yourself. You always find yourself doing things that you swore you would never do and look down at other people for doing and not even realizing it. It's because you're becoming numb. Then all of a sudden, you begin to do things that are self-destructive. We look at other people, how could they do that, say that, smoke that, drink that, whatever? Because they've lost their sight. They've lost what the future looks like. I don't know about you, but I remember what it was like to be... Any 90s babies in here? Anybody like me, you cried yourself to sleep, listening. to, I become so numb. As you're packing your bags to run away, I'm leaving them. Did it. I remember what it's like to not feel. 
I remember what it's like not to see anything good in tomorrow. And I don't want to remember from a place of guilt, but I want to remember from a place of gratitude. Of God, never let me get so saved that I forget what you have redeemed me from. By the way, if you ever forget what it was like to be broken, you will also lose a heart for the broken. The reality is there's a lot of Christians who don't care about unbelievers. Like, welcome home Sunday. Oh, gosh, all right, a little believer's message and all these ratchet people come to church. I'm going to skip that Sunday. I'll come next week when he's preaching the word, line upon line, precept upon precept. If that's your mindset, it's because you forgot when you were lost. And you forgot when you were broken. Because you would have a compassion for those. And you wouldn't judge other people's sin. You would understand it because you remember. I may not have done that. But oh, I've done some stuff that have brought destruction. God, let me never forget what you rescued me from. Second thing is write this down. We never return to fullness. So here it is, and I'll give you this one quickly. I'll give the third one. Sean, you can come play. We're going to land this plane. So as soon as those nine got healed, they did what I think I would have done. Isn't it amazing how when we read Scripture, we always put ourselves in the position of the person of faith? I'd have been like, David, I don't need your armor. I got a sling and a stone. I got this. Now, I'd have been David's brothers. Come on, can, can we be real? I'd have been the one that came back. I would have been the nine because I hadn't seen Zoe and Roman and Jade in eight years. I haven't felt my wife's embrace in eight years. And you're telling me now I can go back to what I've loved? Thank you. Why is it the Samaritan didn't run back to the life that he had came back to say thank you. I think because the Samaritan said, I no longer have leprosy, but I'm still an outcast. You've healed me of my disease, but I don't really have anything great to go back to. Everything back there reminds me of what I'm not. Jesus, your presence is only the things that's reminded me of who I am. I've discovered if I think a relationship can fill me, I'll forget about God. If I think a number of Instagram followers or a number of zeros in my bank account on the right side of the dot or, or a number of letters behind my name or accolade, if I think that there's something in this world that can satisfy me, then I'm going to run after it as if it's the only thing worth pursuing. But in the scripture in Psalm 1611, it says this, God, you're going to show me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If I don't catch the revelation that life can only be lived in God, the second I get what I think life is, my desperation and pursuit for God will wane. Last thing is this, write this down. Deliverance is only the introduction. There were 10 lepers. Somebody say 10. ten. Come on, say it like a preacher. Somebody say 10. Ten. 10 in scripture is always the number of testing. Whenever you see the number 10, it's a test. That's why there are 10 commandments. It's a test of can you be perfect enough for God, which is the answer, no, which is why we need Jesus. There were 10 plagues that God sent to Pharaoh before he released Israel out of Egypt. There were 10 challenges or tests that Joseph had to pass before he became second in command in Egypt. There were 10 virgins that were waiting on the bridegroom. Tithing is a, that's a really specific number, right? Like if I made up how much money to give to God, I would have the wealthy people give more and those that didn't have as much to give less. God said, no, it's the same for everybody. A tenth. Why? 
Because it's not about the money. It's a test. Some of you don't tithe because you didn't know what it was. You thought tithing was so the church could pay its bills. Well, you're not tithing and our bills are paid, so apparently... I need a nap, y'all. I'm like ignorant as I'm on. Pray for your pastor. He's feeling real himself right now. God provides for the church. He doesn't need you to. Tithing is a test. But a test for what? So the tithe is returned to God. By way of the Samaritan, it was one-tenth of what God sowed. And when the tithe was returned to God and thrown at his feet and said, thank you, he said, where's the other nine? Did I not heal ten? How come only one has come back? In verse 19, he said this. He said, arise, go your way for your faith. It takes faith to say thank you. It takes faith to return to God and say, God, I didn't deserve it, but I'm grateful, grateful, grateful. He says, your faith has made you well. That word well in the original language is the word so-so, which means to be made whole. It is our English word for salvation. Hear me. Ten lepers were healed. Only one leopard was saved. Ten lepers were rescued. Only one leper was redeemed. What I've discovered from God is the first blessing is not the greatest blessing. The first blessing is just a test to see can we be trusted with more than enough or is it going to turn our hearts away from God and as I was praying and preparing this week Union Church the Spirit of the Lord said to me what you're walking in right now what you're experiencing right now what you're praying for right now is not the best that God has for you it's just the test that God has for you and if the test blessing can diminish your pursuit of God. What's going to happen when he throws open the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that you cannot contain? This is where I get really transparent. Me and my wife were in Gold Coast, Australia. We were preaching at a conference. They put us on the top floor penthouse. I mean, you would have thought Bishop T.D. Jakes was in town to preach. They had a car to pick us up. And I mean, I mean, it was, we were hosted the best of ever in my life. And I'm looking over the ocean in this penthouse, getting ready to preach. And I remember to this day looking at Zion. I said, babe, this is not the cake. This is the icing on the cake. And I said, as great as this is, let's never forget it's always Jesus. He's the reward. He's the prize. He's the one worth pursuing. He is the only one that can fill us. He's the only one that can sustain us. And I've discovered, as long as I can look at a blessing and say, oh, that's great, that's cute, and I'm grateful, but it's Jesus that I want that he can trust me with more and more and more and more and more and more. But the second his hand changes who I am in a negative way, is the second that God says, you can't handle what I had for you. So we'll stop here. Union Church, all the promises of God are yes and amen. But whatever promise you have experienced, you have not scratched the surface of how good your God is. So don't start pursuing. Don't stop being desperate. Don't start saying, I went to church last Sunday. That's good enough for the month. I read my Bible yesterday. It's good enough for the week. I was in a connect group last semester. I'm going to take a semester off. 
They look like they have everything in the church handled. I don't need to serve on a dream team. They don't need me. Well, pastor said all the bills are paid. I don't need a tithe, I guess. No, I am going to go after God with all that I have. Because the more I pursue him, the more he reveals that he gets better every single day. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. Come on, can you just say these words with me? Say thank you. Maybe your life is jacked up and there's not a lot going well right now, but you're here, you're breathing, he's covered you, he's protected you. Maybe you have a job, maybe you have a family, maybe you have a home. Can you take about 10 seconds and just say thank you? God, I know there's so much more that I need, there's so much more I'm believing for, but I want to pause and say thank you for your mercy, thank you for your grace, thank you for seeing me, thank you for knowing me, for the moments that I forgot to come back. God, I'm coming back right now and I'm saying Thank you. You have been too good to me. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just got to give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to me. Maybe you're blessed and you're too blessed to be desperate. God, our prayer is that you restore our hunger and our thirst, not for things, not for your hand, but for your heart. Maybe you're in this room in Baltimore County, BWI, watching online, and you never got past the point where I started talking about being numb. Because if you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor, I'm numb right now. I've lost feeling. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church and you're sitting in the church right now, but you're in church numb. Maybe this is your first time in an experience like this. Jesus himself, life himself is here to bring your feeling back, to bring your purpose back. Not to throw your mistakes in your face, but to cleanse you of them. But he's waiting on you to invite him to give him access to your life. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus the way you're talking about. I, I don't know Jesus in the way where he's brought life, where he's brought hope, where he's brought fullness, where he's brought purpose. But I want to know that Jesus. If that's you, can you pray this prayer with me? Matter of fact, every single person under the sound of my voice, out of encouragement of those that are making the greatest decision ever, say, Lord Jesus. Come on, pray with desperation. Say, Lord Jesus. Thank you for not giving up on me. For not forgetting me. Thank you for dying on the cross. For rising on the third day. So that all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. Today, I surrender. I give you all of me. I want to feel again. I want to see again. I want to believe again. Give me your life and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person?